Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. So the leaders of the Oath Keepers just got convicted of seditious conspiracy. And I'm feeling very conflicted in this moment because as we first got together tonight, I was like, I'm an abolitionist, right? Like, I don't think prisons are the solution to anything. And at the same time, I'm really kind of excited to see white Christian supremacists get some consequences. And I'm having to dig very deep into my restorative and transformative justice training into all of the things that you you have gifted me with over the years, Kelly, the tools and strategies um, from Adrian Marbury Brown and so many other uh, great learned uh, functional scholars, I will say practical theologians. I, I love that that kind of you know weird turn of a word. But like I'm having to really dig deep because I'm sitting here on, a Tuesday night, I feel like it's always important for us to tell people like when we're recording in case something happens between now and when it airs, but like Tuesday night on the 29th of November, and it was just announced that the Oath Keepers leadership got convicted of some really serious federal charges for horrible things that they did. And I'm having a hard time feeling bad about that. Just help help me. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Oh, I mean, like, uh, it's it's complicated. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think a lot about, like, in the opening to Emergent Strategy, uh, Adrian Murray Brown says, I see the miraculous in others, and even those who hate me have heartbeats. And I generally assume people they love. Uh, why don't they love me? Should I love them? how do I hold these massive contradictions? I think about like, especially that last point, how do I hold these massive contradictions of um, both having someone who hates you and also knowing that they have miraculous things in them. It's just really, it's complicated, it's hard. And like, this is the whole reason that I do the restorative and transformative justice training. And, um, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I think about it all the time, but, um, you know, lately I've been, I've been thinking about this, um, and having conversations with people about like, how do we, or like, how do we have abolition in real life? How do we, you know, um, like make this real for people? <laughs> and, um, it's, it's difficult. And I think the question that most often comes up is like, what about, uh, you know, these people who commit uh, harms against society that people need to be protected from, uh, namely, like, murderers or, uh, you know, people who <laughs> commit uh, sexual crimes, things like that. Um, but also, I think that's kind of relevant in, in these people who <laughs> try to structurally take over um, you know, and, and have their way, their will be done, um, which is not how that's supposed to go. Um, and, and so in those cases, like, how do we, uh, reconcile, like, this holding the miraculous in others and also wanting people to get accountability? And it's hard because, uh, we live in this, like, uh, punishment-based society, 
where, you know, the accountability that the state provides is not one that's actually accountability, but rather it's one that punishes and shames. And we've been taught to have a catharsis with that. And I think it's hard to not, like, have some amount of, like, relief or, um, you know, we talked about this with the the Derek Chauvin case. Uh, but it's hard to, to not have some of that, um, joy is not the right word, but, like, catharsis, I guess. Uh, especially when you live in a system where the only alternative is, uh, like, it's either... They get accountability by going to prison or they get nothing. And like it, they're, you know, I think in the last few years, I've heard a lot more people talking about how things are a spectrum. And I think that is also true of how we deal with harms against other people. Like you don't, it shouldn't be just like all in or not in at all. Um, but it definitely feels that way. And so like, I don't blame you for, for feeling, you know, kind of, good about somebody being uh you know sent to prison uh but um it it's like kind of a it's part of the reprocessing the re um you know thinking the way that we live our lives um that has to be done if we want to have restorative and transformative justice yeah and so the adrian marie brown theology <laughs> of, of iterative process, right? Like Adrian Marie Brown's whole deal with emergent strategy is that strategy is something that is done in an iterative process. It's something that, you know, it's for people who are listening who are into any kind of like family systems therapy, like it's the old bone family systems model and like clinical pastoral education for um, clergy, right? Like you have an action you reflect on that action, and based upon the reflection of the action, you choose a new action, right? The same kind of process with Adrian Marie Brown, right? Like, you try a strategy, you see what works and what doesn't within that strategy, and then that informs your future mm -hmm. strategy. And what was really helpful for me in my deep dive when we did the um, initial book study on restorative and so transformative justice... <laughs> was, yeah, it, it feels like so long ago. It feels like a decade mm -hmm. ago, right? Um, but we tapped into a lot of the resources that Adrian Marie Brown posts on Instagram and, like, you know, all the social media channels. And her discussion of energy, mm -hmm. right? Having energy around... Um, these, these kinds of violent experiences and like how you do energy work within yourself and you acknowledge that you need to go from a state of tension to a state of relaxed energy. And that state of relaxed energy is what I feel right now around these, you know, January 6th conspirators, right? Like we had this really, really tense moment that's tense, um, this tense experience as a nation among many other tense experiences. Like, let's just put that in context. Like this was one day of a whole movement towards Christo fascism that has been building in our nation. And finally it came to a head in a way that was violent, that was terrible. That was on display for everybody to see 
And it's nothing that surprises those of us who are queer, those of us who are, you know, in this culture, people of color, disabled folk, people seeking abortions, like name whatever group that has had a really rough past three decades. Not a surprise to any of us, right? But finally, the rest of the culture went, maybe there's a problem here. Like these people are setting things on fire and beating people to death with American flags in front of the Capitol. <laughs> and we now, right, like I, it took that that much. But we got to this place where now these people are through the very system that has failed us for so long. They're starting to get some consequences, get some accountability. So there's this relaxation of energy, this kind of like breath out of, oh, thank God, we didn't let that go, right? Because so often we do, right? I mean, so often we let horrible violence go against other people. We've seen so many situations where the quote-unquote justice system doesn't give justice to anybody and doesn't hold abusive people accountable in any way, and now it's like, well, yes, they're being held accountable, but all of our accountability methods suck, right? So, like, the iterative process is, yes, we got some accountability here. We can relax for a moment. But what does it really look like to hold people accountable when their entire goal in this system was to destroy people and and systems that we hold valuable and essential in our society? Like... How, how do we rehab folk in ways that are a lot better than what we're doing right now? And we spoke briefly, Kelly and I did before um, starting to record today, like part of our struggle is it really takes an engaged populace to want to do rehabilitation. And we don't have that. We have a populace that is ready for retribution or nothing like it's zero to 100 it's the ricky bobby theology right from talladega nights if you ain't first you're last it's zero to or 100 percent. and the reality is all of life is lived somewhere other than those extremes right like all of life and indeed anything good and restorative happens in the in-between the give and take the ability of people to really bump up against each other in ways that might be conflictual but aren't necessarily abusive yeah right to quote another work that we we love around here conflict is yeah. not abuse right like you can be in conflict with people and not have anybody be abusing anybody yeah. else right it's not abuse just because you've experienced conflict so like these people there has to be a way a method a process by which we don't just throw these people away into federal prison for 20 years, but we engage them in a process that brings, if not brings them back to some semblance of, of societal normalcy, that at least helps the society understand how not to let people go this far and get this, this rattled in the first place. Yeah, and, and I think, like, like you said, it's like a whole process and it requires you know everybody to really be committed to it and that's like part of the part of the reason that when I'm doing the RTGA trainings um people often ask me like uh you know how do we how do we do this you know wanting kind of an instruction what is next steps you know and um 
I can't really give next steps because it really depends on the group of people that you're with and how you establish what your boundaries are, how you establish what the future looks like and what your goals are. And, um, you know, and I think it takes like a lot of personal commitment to, you know, the gospel that is transformative justice. Um, there's a, there's a part in emergent strategy there. I just, there's this whole section that really is relevant to this conversation that, um, I, uh, want to read my, my highlights. If anybody, uh, who's listening, this has ever seen my copy of emergent strategy, this thing is beat up. It has lots of flags in it. It has lots of highlights in it. I am one of those people who believes that like, if you own a book, you should just like use it in, to its fullest capacity. Um, and so that is how my emergent strategy looks. But uh, the, the first thing that I wanted to look at, hold on. The first thing that I wanted to look at is um, in her conversation on resilience. Uh, so I'll just, I'm just going to read like little sections of this. It says, I have also had experiences where I absolutely wanted to take someone down, expose them as a liar, cheater, manipulator, assailant. Uh, and in each of these situations, time, conversation, and vulnerability have created other possibilities. And I've ended up glad that I didn't go that route, um, which is generally so short term in its impact. Sometimes this is because the takedown wouldn't have had the impact that I wanted. Destroying a person doesn't destroy all of the systems that allow harmful people to do harm. These takedowns make it seem as if massive problems are determined at an individual level, as if these individuals set a course as children to become abusers, misogynists, racists, liars. <clears throat> and then she continues later. If I can see the ways that I am perpetuating systemic oppressions, if I can see where I learned the behavior and how to unlearn it, how hard it is to unlearn it, I can have more humility and see the messiness of communities I'm a part of, the world I live in. Um, and and then later, um, she talks about like how people will, um, you know, be drawn to transformative justice as a practice. And, um, and, and learn to use the words, but like have not been fully transformed by it. And she says, we call it transformative justice when we're throwing knives and insults, exposing each other's worst mistakes, reducing each other to moments of failure. We called it quote unquote, holding each other accountable. Um, but she continues on to talk about like how that is the, the continuing of those systems of oppression and, and, um, all of that. And I think, you know, uh, and you know, it, it sh my, my basis of transformative justice really comes from Adrienne Marie Brown. And I would definitely recommend this book, all of her books. Uh, she has an audiobook of emergent strategy that she intermingles with singing. Ugh, beautiful. Uh, so I would recommend that, or I think actually it's either, uh, emergent strategy or pleasure activism. She might even have both. I'm not sure. Um, because I read the books before they got on audio. Um, but, uh, she also talks about like how moving immediately to punishment, uh, leaves us at the surface level of whatever the harm was rather than if we take the time, if we invest ourselves in doing transformative justice, if we invest ourselves in, uh, later like asking the question why which she she talks about how often the why is rooted in trauma and grief and pain um and if we can get to that why and get to the understanding of why harm people who do harm um 
do that harm, like then we can get to a better place. And like, I feel like I talk about this all the time, but like, you know, I, nothing is, nothing is separated from everything else. Like I I think about when I, I don't necessarily go to church anymore. Um, but I think a lot of my beliefs are, um, steeped in like the Christian faith. Um, and one thing that has been like kind of a bomb for me is thinking about like nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, and I think in the same way, uh, like we, you know, we talk about everything being on a spectrum. We talk about like, um, all of this stuff. And especially in emergent strategy, um, Adrian Marie Brown talks about us, like, as we are related to nature and in the ways that we are an ecosystem and like one thing does not, it cannot be separated from everything else. We cannot separate January 6th from the things that led people to that moment. We cannot separate the, um, the events of, uh, January 6th from the learned experiences and the learned beliefs that those people had that were probably back where they began somehow steeped in trauma or fear or insecurity or whatever. And, and, and that does not, that does not in any way. And I have to like make this perfectly clear for anybody that does not lessen the accountability that those people have to take for the actions they did this like knowing the cause knowing where that comes from does not um you know keep them from having to make up for that you know if i'm baking uh if i'm if i'm baking a cake let's say and the milk i use is rotten and i don't know that or maybe i do know that um and i make the cake anyway and the cake is bad knowing that the milk was rotten would probably help me in the future make a cake that would not be bad. And if other people know, Kelly has a tendency to use rotten milk <laughs> in the cakes that they make, then maybe they would uh, keep their eyes out for me when baking cakes in the future to keep me from using rotten milk. And would, uh, you know, I, I could set up and the society that I live in could set up systems of accountability to make sure that when I'm baking cakes for people or for myself, uh, I'm not using rotten milk. Um, and, but if we never, if we just go to Kelly, you made a cake, it was bad. It made a bunch of people sick. Uh, you are a bad baker. If that's like where it, where it ends. Um, I don't learn anything. No one else learns anything about why that happened. Um, and then I just get labeled as a bad person without learning why, you know? And I think like, I, um, I, and you may notice like when I'm talking about all this, I, I talk about like people who do harm or people who are harmed. And part of that is like person first language that I learned when I was <laughs> thinking about becoming a teacher. Um, but a big part of that is the it's very important to me and I think to um, adapting a mindset of transformative justice um, to separate like the harm from the person. The people who did the actions they did on January 6th did harmful actions. They hurt people. People like I, I just think about my own anxiety 
I was I was on my uh, cross cultural immersion trip, which was not actually uh, in Mexico, but I was doing um, stuff with that, and we had to literally like pause the whole situation because everything was happening at the Capitol, and you know that harm that happened is uh, is important that something like that there's accountability held for that. Um, but that doesn't mean that those people are a complete wash. Like people are people. They're not some commodity that you just get rid of. Like the milk, the, the milk in my baking story, you get rid of that milk. That milk is bad. It is the rotten part. And so you throw it out. That milk is not me as a person. Uh, that milk is rather the beliefs that have been fed to me that have led me to do something harmful. So in this uh, analogy, <laughs> really great at analogies, uh, in this, uh, in this uh, you know, January 6th situation is the beliefs that led them to do the action that was harmful to so many. And it's really hard to separate those things, to have both of them be... Um, you know, uh, important, like the, it's the miraculous in those people and also that they hate me. <laughs> Both of those things exist at the same time. And if we're going to get to a world where things like January 6th don't happen again, uh, we need to, you know, address, we need to separate those two and then we need to address the rotten milk and throw it out because, you know, rotten theology theology that teaches us that it's my will be done <laughs> um is not one that is beneficial to having a society and you know ab as an abolitionist I have to hold in both of my hands the absolute hatred that I have for the things that these people have done and also that as as somebody who believes in redemption and in um you know, a future where people can be ingrained in society and can do better. Like I can't, I also can't throw these people out. This is, they're not, they're not commodities. Right. Well, and just while you're talking through, I'm, I'm thinking about my emotional response to seeing January 6th seditionists, insurrectionists get, some measure of accountability feels and I'm just going to be really open here feels a lot like the same reaction I have in relation to like seeing a sports team win right which is a real problem for me right like I I have to acknowledge that deep inside me <clears throat> deep inside my my white maleness right there is a connection between like winning games or see, even not even like winning games myself, seeing something that I identify win a game and seeing my particular hope of what happens come to fruition. And that's a big problem because like, you know, these are people's lives. Like this whole system, it's not the freaking world cup, right? Like, it's not just some people playing a game that a lot of people get really worked up about every four years, right? Like, even though I, you know, I did get to see um, U.S. beat Iran, just saying, similar emotions, right? The struggle, though, is, like you've said, 
these are people that we have to hold these massive contradictions because this is what we do. Because when we don't hold those massive contradictions, we're giving into the system that created this problem in the first place, that, that is harming us all, that's damaging us all, that's destroying our hope for future thriving. And it's so hard, yet in this moment, we have to be the ones who step up and do that and hold all of those things. I'm thinking also of you know the, the situation with um, our state legislature. So this is the period for anyone who's not already well aware of this. This is the period in our state legislative session in Ohio, often called lame duck. I like to call it the slippery hippopotamus because it's, you know, lame, lame duck is a very ableist language. But like the slippery hippopotamus is that time in our session where just anything could happen because our lawmakers are back from session. Those who did not get reelected don't have to worry about what they're going to deal with next session. Those who did get reelected and, you know, lied about everything that they really wanted to keep uh, quiet, they can do whatever they like right now because they're never going to have a time that's farther from an election than today. So it's like a slippery hippopotamus trying to, you know, run down high street and everything comes out of the woodwork, right? Horrible bills against trans youth have reared their ugly head in this time. Really bad abortion bills traditionally come up during this time. And indeed, we have a couple of bills that are probably going to make abortion access even more difficult in Ohio. More on that later. But like all of these horrible things that are happening and the the zero 100 mindset, the football um, analogy mindset, right, says, well, if we can't win, we just need to ignore it altogether. Well, the reality is we're not going to win, quote unquote, win anything at the Ohio State House when there's a gerrymandered supermajority that hasn't represented the will of the people for 35 years, right? Like, nothing good is going to come out of these idiots, okay? God love them all, and not all of them are idiots, but they act like idiots. So person first language, whatever, you figure it out, put it together. It's an, it's an Ikea statement at this point. Just put together the words, right? But we're at a place where our theories of change are so radically different from the theories of change that will impact those legislators that we're not at the statehouse every single day. We're not encouraging our people... Um, to spend, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours of their life uh, sitting down at the state house waiting to give in-person testimony in this moment because we recognize that it's really kind of a fait accompli for a lot of this legislation. It's not, you know, fatalism. It's not determinism. It's just saying, like, we've got more important things to be doing in terms of our creating a new future and creating mutual aid processes and tending to our people than to consistently go in front of these very aloof legislators and try to impress upon them, you know, how important it is to stop doing bad things. At the same time, somebody's got to do it because we can't just let them run away with, you know, uh, no opposition to this process. So coming to a place to where we can understand the legislative session as well as our our concept of um, what restorative and transformative justice look like 
as a multiplicity of behaviors and a multiplicity of strategies that not all of us have to participate in, right? Everybody has to do their piece, but everybody doesn't have to do everything, and we certainly don't have to do everything perfectly, right? That's, I think, the, the most difficult part in this whole process is to get us, get us into a different way of thinking that just because we make a mistake doesn't mean we are bad or off yeah. or wrong. When we make a mistake, it means we're learning. Yeah, yeah. And I, mm. you know, we always end up not having enough time left, but uh, I kind of want to read two different um, parts from Adrian Marie Brown's books. If you haven't read um, We Will Not Cancel Us uh, by Adrian Marie Brown, it's a really short read, small book, um, based off of a blog that she did. Um, but she she says here, uh, we are afraid and I th- and we think it will assuage our fears and make it safer if we can clarify an enemy, a someone outside of ourselves who is to blame, who is guilty, who is the origin of harm. Can we acknowledge that trauma and conflict can distort our perspective of responsibility and blame in ways um, that make it difficult to see the roots of the harm? And so, like, you know, I think we thinking about like this lame duck time and this time where it, it could feel like we should be urgent, but like we're also trying to envision a different world. What is it like to take the time to um, talk about the trauma and talk about the feelings that people are having um, rather than, you know, focusing on like the, the, the blaming and the finding the enemy. And the, the last thing that I just want to share is uh, it's from the Everton strategy again. And it says, I want us to do better. I want us to feel we are responsible for each other's transformation, not the transformation from vibrant, um, flawed humans to bits of ash, but rather the transformation from broken people to communities uh, and communities to whole ones. I believe transformative justice could yield deeper trust, resilience, and interdependence. All these mass and intimate punishments keep us small and fragile, and right now our movements and people within them need to be massive and complex and strong. And, you know, that's that's how I feel. I think in this moment we need to be building each other up and working with each other and identifying those roots and finding them um, and working to untangle them um, rather than focusing on, you know, the, the enemy especially in Ohio. <laughs> um, so uh, that's that's all we have for this week. And we will be back in two weeks for our end of year wrap up. So uh, I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.